Welcome to Accidental Gods, to the podcast where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Amanda Scott, and I spent the first series of this podcast laying out the basic toolkit that we think is essential to the survival of humanity, which is to say, to making conscious evolution a possibility or even a probability. And now in this second series, we're branching out to find the people who are using these tools, or something like them. People who are diving deep into areas that will help us get to where we need to go. This is where we explore the interface between science and spirituality, politics and philosophy, art and activism, and creativity, and everything that helps us move towards a place where a new way of being is the next obvious step. And in this time of coronavirus where everything is not as we planned, my guest today nonetheless is Yakov Darling-Khan. Yakov is one of the shining lights of the contemporary shamanic movement in the UK. He's been teaching movement medicine for several decades. I think I first met him in the late 80s when he was just starting out. And now he teaches worldwide classes and courses. And now, in the era of coronavirus, he started to lead dance online. He's a shamanic practitioner who leads groups into the Amazon in Ecuador. And he speaks very movingly of this in the podcast. He's also the author of two books. The first came out in 2017, Jaguar in the Body, Butterfly in the Heart. And his latest is coming out on the 31st of March this year, 2020, which is called Shaman, Invoking Power, Purpose and Presence in the Core of Who You Are, which, even before the global pandemic, sounded like a really good reason to be talking to Yakov. We arranged this interview many months ago. We were going to record face-to-face when I was due to be teaching in Devon, and then global pandemic. So I'm still in Shropshire. He's still in Devon. And we decided we'd try to connect online, which was fine and has been fine with other people. But we had a bit of a technical glitch at my end, which means the sound quality is not what we'd like it to be. But the conversation felt so raw and so real. And I really wanted to bring it to you as it is. It's uncut. We just launched into the conversation and let it run. But it felt very timely. So, with apologies for the fact that this isn't studio sound quality, and also that we're exploring some of these ideas on the fly, they are not really uh, ground-tested at all, but they feel real. So, people of the podcast, please welcome Yakov Darling-Khan. Okay, so um, just talk to me about how life is with you. Well, um, life has changed rather dramatically, hasn't it? Hasn't it, since we planned this? Yes. <laughs> bit, a bit of a transformation. All what yeah. we've been praying for, but not quite in the way that we expected. <laughs> no, but it does seem to me that this is, yeah, of all the things that could have happened, that would get people to really sit up and take notice, yeah. this is probably the mildest. You know, it's not all out nuclear war. It's not all out any kind of biological, chemical, any sort of war. Yes. And it's not yet, as far as we know, a climate tipping point. Although I am going to have to go and get some straw later today because I still can't turn the ponies out because I've got a quagmire out there. Absolutely, um, yes. So, Absolutely. so It's interesting you should mention that with war. So I, Susanna just read something to me that was written by uh, a woman 
uh, emergency doctor working in France. It was written in the last few days. A woman called Sophie Mangay, or Mangui, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. And she says, we are not at war and we don't have to be. It is interesting to note how we only know how to look at each other's at each event through a prism of defence and domination. The measures decreed last night by our government are, from my sensitivity as a doctor, quite appropriate. However, the announcement effect that accompanied it is much less so. We are not at war, nor do we have to be. She says there's no need for systematic idea of struggle to be effective. The firm ambition of a service to life is enough. There is no enemy. There is another living organism in full migratory flow, and we must stop so that our respective currents do not clash too much. And I just found that really strong to hear. And, um, you know, the the war footing and the war language that we, because it's the only language we we know really up to now. Yes. And, And wars end. Yes. You win them. Yes, exactly. And it's all the, it's all the fight and flight and freeze, and yes. it, it keys in to people's sympathetic systems. And I think actually what we need to be doing is that I did a recording with somebody last week talking about polyvagal theory and yes. the whole meet and greet, rest and digest. We need yes. to be bringing that up. And this is not a war, and we mustn't. Yeah, that language is not useful, but we have a. Prime Minister sees himself as Churchill, so of course he was. <laughs> oh my God! I have to tell you a story about dear old Boris, a, a, an associate of ours, who uh, was. This is many, many years ago, about fifteen years ago. She was, she was being mugged in London. Apparently, Boris rode past on his bicycle, and he saw what was happening, and got off his bike with his umbrella spinning, and saw off the muggers and looked after her. Oh, really? Oh, I thought you were going to say you looked at her and rode on. Well, you would think that, wouldn't you? Yes. And uh, I think that's why I kind of like that story. It's nothing is is black and white. I mean, I would hate to be prime minister right now, I have to tell you. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) But I do think that there are people who would have been more competent (laughs) in that role. But absolutely, and I'm not exactly a Boris fan, but... Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an invidious time for sure. And and word on our wind is that Chris Whitty, the chief medical officer, is is currently down with the virus. So, I, you know, and he will have been talking. It, it's definitely within the corridors of government. So that's yeah, absolutely. Interesting. It's it's interesting, isn't it? That, you know, um, something like this that doesn't it doesn't respect any any boundaries in the way that we might yes. think it does or and you know it's not it's not of course you know uh, people who are in dire economic circumstance would have less resources to deal with it but at the same time this is this is affecting everyone and, um, yes yes you know, I'm, i perhaps it's just i i loved what you said man at the beginning that this is this is a mile as mild a wake up wake up call as we we could be grateful for in a way, obviously not for the people who are really suffering from it right now, but but to have something that's literally stopped us in our tracks. Yeah. Somebody, I was on a call last night with a group called Compass, which is one of these political groups trying to bring people together from all sides of the spectrum. And somebody said, no, it was Molly Scott Cato, who's, who's a Green MEP and economist. And she yeah. said that one of the ecological economists had said, 
that trying to change from the existing fossil fuel based economy to the economy that we would need would be like trying to switch your Boeing 747 into being a helicopter in mid-flight, yeah. which clearly you can't do. Yeah. But she said, actually, the Boeing 747 has just landed. Yes. We could do that now. Yeah. And and I thought that was an extraordinarily useful metaphor Yes. for, for the possibility of this moment. Yes. Yes, I, I, I absolutely, you know, I'm, I notice in myself all of these I, you know, as we're doing our practice, I notice so many of these, you know, I notice that fight, fright, you know, look after self, look after my wife, look after our son, look after our land, you know, make sure that we've got ammunition for the shotgun and all of those kind of <laughs> protect. And, yeah, uh, yeah, we don't have a shotgun. <laughs> you were having that conversation this morning. Well, it's pity we don't. <laughs> I, I tell you, if, I, if we have to, I'll be on rabbits. And, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that was, yes. Right. It's, yes. it's just like that. But, but you know, that, that kind of close down and protect your own kind of impulse and then, and then the impulse of generosity and care and what, you know, I'm well, I'm healthy, I'm, I'm at home, I've suddenly got a lot of time. What, yes. what can I create? What can I offer? And uh, it, they, I notice those different responses many times during the day and to just take a deep breath. It, it's interesting you're talking about the polyvagal theory. Susanna's been um, really deeply engaged in looking into that over the past three or four years, obviously to do with her own uh, pony work, her own horse work. And yes. Because the, That's uh, who I was talking to, was a woman called Sarah Schlotter, who runs something called Equisoma. Ah, and, yeah. and she is, she's, she's a trauma specialist in Canada who's trained in human trauma therapy and has then brought it into the horses. Amazing. She's really interesting. Wow. So when, when we when we have that podcast, I will send, send it through. Oh, please do. It mainly ours was... I wanted to look at it from Accidental God's point of view. She's done an amazing podcast. Um, her podcast is called The Whole Horse Podcast, all with a W. Oh, brilliant. Um, and she and Sarah Sutter did an amazing podcast on polyvagal theory and horses. Amazing. Well, it's so important, isn't it? And, and it's really important right now. Yes. Um, but we... You know, we've been doing um, we've been doing online um, movement medicine sessions the last two weeks. We just started to right. offer them, yeah. and we had on Tuesday night we had nearly four hundred and fifty people show up from wow. from all around the world, like from South America to Japan to up in the north, down in the south. People who we know, people who we don't know, and all and we danced for about an hour. And like it was called shaking medicine. We were all shaking out all of that adrenaline and fear, and you know, coming back to the Brilliant. the digest and rest phase, and then letting the body shake again, and then digest and rest, and letting those um, waves rise and fall. It was an amazing experience to 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 be with so many people and yes. to feel literally the the sense of calm or like a wave of calm that we that that we created together and you know making making prayers taking that dance into the intelligence of the body and then making prayers from the from the earth up and uh very very strong experience and yeah 
It's quite a time, isn't it? Quite a time. I'm, yes. I'd... And if, if you bring me the link for that, I'll pass it around our accidental gods group and we can increase your numbers next time. Oh, because fantastic. it seems to me that the more we can do work where we change our energy. Exactly. More than anything else that matters now, more than ideas, more than actions, as long as everyone is safe and well. Yeah. The energy of what we do is what matters. Yeah. Totally, yes, and what we're doing during the day, and yeah, the all those little choices, the little choices, and um, you know, of course, everyone now is racing to find out how to do webinars and online teaching. Yes, Zoom is going to just be overwhelmed. Zoom is like it's totally overwhelmed. Trying to try and speak to a a technical advisor on Zoom these days, you have to wait about four days, I think. (laughs) <laughs> and shortly then I'll be working from home it'll be even longer absolutely yes it's extraordinary and um, I, you know we we have all of our all of the people that we've trained and everyone's racing towards doing webinars and again you know I can feel that oh god you know we've spent the last three years working out this technology and, and now you want us to give it away and that's like of course they do and of course we will and you know we made a video yesterday to show people how to do that and <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, because everyone's giving everything. And isn't that I think, you know, we've been saying, you and I and everyone like us has been saying for a long time, the economy needs to change. Yes. Yeah. And and look, it's changing. It is changing. And it, they, they said we could not possibly afford to do the changes that we needed for climate change. And and overnight we can. Yes. <laughs> yes. Overnight. It's like when suddenly um it's not just about us, it's about all of us, and what what an amazing blessing! I know um, over the weekend, Susanna and I are going to do go into ceremony, and I really want to look at this virus. I want to look at it directly, and because I, it doesn't to me seem to be uh, something that is trying to do harm. It's not something that it's not something to be at war with. Obviously. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of the people who are suffering and who've died and the overwhelmed hospitals and doctors and, and the places where this is hit hardest. But in general, like uh, the, the opportunity we're being afforded to, to, to do exactly what you just said, like to make radical changes overnight because we have to. And, yeah, as you say, it's, um, they were saying... We, we can't. We can't afford it. And now, apparently, we have to, and therefore we can. I'm, I'm remembering the Chancellor before one who was saying it would cost £50 billion a year if we were going to make the changes we needed to avert climate catastrophe, and, and, and that's just impossible, so we can't do it. Yeah. And £330 billion without a blink. Yes. Um, and you think, well, that, that's a bit bigger than that, isn't it? Yes. Um, so, so, yeah, I think... Yeah. It's we're discovering that money is an idea. Yes. And it's it's an idea that we share and we can change the idea of it. Yes. And value is an idea. And and we're discovering that oddly enough, hedge funders and bankers are not the most important people in society. Yes. It's the doctors and nurses yes. and the people who look after our children yes. and our old people. Yes. And and the guys who deliver stuff. Yes. And the people who grow things. We that's cleared out our polytunnel and we're just you know we're going to plant so much more land because by the autumn if people haven't been able to pick stuff 
food resilience is going to become a serious issue. Yeah, absolutely. So we're looking at how can we feed the village? Can we feed the village? Yeah. And, and, you know, wider beyond that. Absolutely. So um, I think you're right. It's not, it's like fire. The, the fires in Australia were devastating. Yes. And so much death. But if we didn't have heat and light and everything that the sun brings, we wouldn't be here. Yeah. You know, fire, fire is neutral in that yes it is what it is and yeah. and the way that it manifests is and our response to it yeah. is is the positive or the negative and i guess this virus is the same you yeah? it's it's horrendous and i have a friend who's got just been diagnosed with lung cancer and wow. was told that he might be having going to have to drive himself to hospital because his wife won't be allowed to and he's got but i'm on so much morphine i can barely stand wow. that's that's not going to happen and, and it's appalling. But what we're discovering is is where the holes are in our system. We've yeah. been like wily e. Coyote. Yeah. Do you remember from the cartoons of our childhood? Yeah. Running out across the canyon. Yes. And, and you keep running until you look down. And I think this yeah. is the moment where we look down. Yes. And it's a very long way down. But, but yeah. you know, it's... It, it's a time, isn't it, where we're, where everyone's being... We're, we're being asked to make those very deep choices about who we're choosing to be. And yes. the simple, you know, when you talk about growing food um, and how can, we, how can we grow food for the village, you know, we're, we're the same. We just, we just start, uh, we happen to have some diggers here. Um, clearing a pathway for the horses, as you mentioned, the, the quagmire right. that yeah. used to be the field. Yeah. And, um, the, the, they um, had to scrape off some topsoil. So we suddenly had this extraordinary um, mm. load of topsoil. So we've spread it out now and we're going to make a much bigger potato patch. And again, so that there's food for people, for us and for the people around here. And it's, It seems to be, and we were talking with the digger driver this morning, a very, very lovely Devon guy grown up in Devon all his life and that's what his his um you know he grew up with most of his friends are farmers and he was saying all the all his farmer friends are saying well you know we've had a rough deal in the last few year, few decades really and maybe people are going to start recognizing that our importance to this society that uh, we're the food growers and people are going to need us and you kind of go yeah wow we exactly that where we've put the status and the value um, and where we've we've given value and high status to those with more material wealth and as if somehow that is the be all and end all of this life and uh, we're being given this quite sharp awakening to well as as that famous poster we used to have it in our kitchen for years that the the there was a uh, poster of an old Cree grandmother and her granddaughter and quoting that old thing as when, when the white man has discovered that he can't eat money mm -hmm. and he'll come back to us and ask us how to live. And uh, we're, we're, we're discovering. We are discovering. We've been recording all this. Yes. Which is useful. Um, but I wondered, we could just carry on talking and then that's our podcast. But did you want to do something more formal? 
Well, I kind of, um, I'm just assuming our conversation is, 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 it. That's good. This is yes. it because I mean, you know, we can, we could go in various directions. I mean, we couldn't have had a conversation without first having that one. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and that one's going to inform everything, but I, it would still be interesting, I think, because I read the proofs of your book, which is going to come out soon. I imagine books are still coming out. It may be that everybody buys them electronically. Yeah. Maybe that I'm wondering, does Amazon go, okay, we're just going to give books away. Yeah, well, then wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. Apparently, Jeff think... Bezos, just, just before all this um, shit hit the fan, created an earth fund, didn't he, of $10 billion? Yeah, but he only did that because the Amazon workers were walking out. It's worth remembering, but he did not do that because that was what he planned. I was, I was looking for stuff written about that. Can you, where, where, where might I find that? That's a very good question. I think it floated past on my Facebook stream. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but Because I, I was wondering, like, what, you know, what is yes. it that, cre- you know, suddenly a yeah. guy like that decides to give yeah. a very small amount of his fortune? Exactly, yeah. to a climate fund. Um, upstream podcast probably had something about it. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, yeah. Dana Duncan's podcast. Um, I'll have a look. Um, but, but my understanding was that the, the Amazon workers were getting organised and... Um, and he decided to do exactly that very small amount of his fortune, wow. which is still, you know, a lot of money for everybody else. But I think, yes, I still, you know, I met you when I was at the Masters in Sustainable Economics in Devon, and I should be down there now teaching. And we were going to be, we, we moved everything to remote teaching. I spent the last week redesigning everything. And then the word came yesterday that one of the members of the department's just gone down with the virus. So I have no idea. It's wow. even going to happen. Wow. Um, but all of the ideas that we had of how could we reimagine the economy and and under what circumstances. And I remember in, in my first term there, I did a term paper because we've been taught about alternative economics and Buddhist economics and economics grounded in all kinds of other things. And we've been given an example of something that was supposed to be a kind of shamanic economics where they Somebody in, I think, Brazil, but I might be wrong, mm-hmm. had said, you know, we need to build a dam, but we're going to um, journey to the spirit of the river just to check that's okay. And of all the things that made me really cross, that was the one that made me crossest. Because I thought, that's, that's not shamanic economics. Shamanic economics is we go to the river first. Yeah. And then we say, you know, how can we solve the problem? And, and, I think it's extremely unlikely that what the spirit of the river would say is, well, you need to put pour billions of tons of concrete into a dam. Yeah. Really, I don't think that's likely. Yeah. So I spent, I wrote my first term paper on what would shamanic economics be? And I did wow. journeys and I looked at dreams, but I was doing my last, I did three medicine walks and I was doing the last of them. I had that two days to go before I had to hand in. And holding the question, holding the question. And I got to a particular point where the world tends to open up for me geographically, and, and it did. And my main guy stepped out in front of me and said, you're asking the wrong question. Mm-hmm. And I kind of said, oh, oh, oh really? Mm-hmm. What, what should I be asking, actually? Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, you need to know, what are we here for? Because the economics has to follow that. And at the moment, everything follows the economics. We're here to make money. Right. And that's completely the wrong way up. Yeah. And and it was like, 
and all of the light bulbs went on in my head. And I, I've got two days to write my paper and I'm going to have to throw it all away and start again. Um, which, but it was, you know, it was fine. But, but we still haven't worked that out. And, you know, from then on, my question is, what are we here for? And, and accidental gods arose out of that. And because, because we cannot keep going within a, a world where everything is rooted in the economics and, and all we're here for is to make money. Absolutely. So I am very interested in how we can shift. It anyway, is. we got from just Jeff Bezos. We started off with, you've yeah. got a book coming out. That's right. And then we ended up with Amazon and Jeff and, yeah. And, and, yeah, economics. I'm, you know, that, that story of how um, money became the, the purpose of life or the material wealth and, it, you know, it's so it's so deep in, in us, isn't it? And I'm sure it's all to do with survival. It's all basically survival strategy gone gone out of rather out of hand. You know, like a the more, the more, the more, the safer, the safer, the safer. Um, and not trusting anymore. And I think when we severed our connection totally. to the all that is, to the web of life, to whatever we call it, I'm sure that. But even now, if you look at shamanic cultures and you work with them there's a trust yeah. that we are a part of a system that is whole yes and when we broke that when we walked away from it when we started deciding that we could own land yes and and then you have to keep the land and defend it against other people who want yeah. to own it yeah and and that distraction and subtraction and severance of our connection to what matters then, then we don't trust anymore, and then we become afraid, and then we do have to do what it takes to protect us and ours against them and theirs, which is, is it, it's very true. Them. I mean, we were we were recently in the in the Amazon. We we take a group there. Well, we have been taking a group there. Who knows if that will ever happen again? But we we we've been taking a group of people there to, at the request of our indigenous families and friends there as not as tourists but as people coming there to become to learn how to be better allies but also to learn how the indigenous people particularly the zapara people of the ecuadorian amazon and the achua people how they live and um one of the one of the most interesting things that people notice pretty quickly is that uh the indigenous people there in the forest they don't they don't start a conversation or a, a um, any kind of interaction from a place of judgment. They start it from a place of observation. So they don't start from criticism. They they observe. So if they see something different, like a different behaviour or a different way of being in the world, um, they they don't automatically go into uh, either I'm wrong or you're wrong. They go into let's observe, let's see the effect of this behavior. And that that is a ground of being. It's a bit like your shamanic economics going to the river with your plan rather mm. than um, rather than going to the river and listening and observing and asking. And I, I find that very deeply fascinating. And, you know, it helps me to see how quick um, my Western mind has been trained to judge and criticize and separate from and put in boxes and um, 
rather than actually just waiting to see. And of course, as you say, um, the one of the the great benefits or the the wealth, I would say, of the Atua and the the Zapara people is that they they know themselves as part of the forest and they that it's not something that they have to learn that the forest is their mama that pachamama is giving them everything they need they they know because they live in that way they they have to learn how to build their own houses and how to how to hunt and how to grow food and but they treat they talk about the forest as as mama and they treat her with that level of respect and care and gratitude and yet at the same time it's so interesting the Achua were a very profoundly warrior people they are warriors and in and as an indigenous people they've never been defeated even when the conquistadors came they saw them wow. and they're very fierce and they used to fight amongst themselves as well they used to you know basically they they would kill each other and one morning when we were there this time we sat down um they start the day at about 4 a.m with tea and then they have a little purge from this tea and then they share their dreams and often we go there and we we will share our dreams and the elders will interpret our dreams well people in our group said rather than us bringing our dreams to them and asking them for their interpretations maybe we could just ask them to tell us some of their stories. And right. so, so we asked one of the elders at, who was the founder of this village called Sharamensa. And um, he, he told us these stories of what it was like as a child for him, going to sleep at night, knowing that in the night a band of warriors from a neighboring village could come in and steal your mother and kill your father or take you and, uh, and how much stress there was in their life, um, wow. even though they were living, you know, they 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 could survive. They knew how to hunt. They, there was never a food shortage or anything like that. But there was there was war constantly. And then, and this is a very interesting story for our times. That one of their elder shamans, a guy called Raphael Taish, saw in his visions that there was a greater threat than the village next door coming. And that threat was our thirst for oil. Right. And so the, the Achua, uh, they basically, they dreamed and they called in a, um, a Catholic priest from Belgium. And I have no idea how they managed to do that. <laughs> but well, I do know. I mean, they did it in their dreaming. Yeah. Yeah. There was no mobile phones or internet at that time, but they called in this guy. Was was it someone they already knew, or was it we just need help from this? They, they knew of him from their dreaming. Okay. And um, for some reason, they, they were looking for you know what's the right thing to do, and this guy showed up, and somehow they managed to get um, an invitation. And of course, this guy who uh, came there and tried to get them all to be good Catholics. <laughs> and they they were like, sure, you know, we're happy to embrace Jesus or any other good being you want to bring to us, but we're not going to give up our own traditions. You know, we, right. we we saw off the conquistadors. We're not going to give them up for you. But 
by all means, share what you know and we'll share what we know. Anyway, they made peace together. They made they they formed a, an alliance amongst them, and then the, there was the Atua and the Zappara people, and then they they formed an an alliance too. And now the indigenous peoples of the Amazon have this uh, very large and very effective alliance for joining, and they joined together, and they they stopped warring with each other um, in order to basically to make connection with people from our world and um, to put out a hand to us rather than running away or even treating us the, as the enemy. They, they moved towards us. They invited us to come and to, to communicate and to share. Through that, they formed this organization called the, the Pachamama Alliance, which, we, which um, has been very successful in protecting that those parts of the Amazon for more than 20 years, they work alongside Amazon Watch and they've done amazing work. But I mean, in a, one of the things I find interesting is the evolution in that story. Um, you know, it's th- those people were connected to their own shamanic traditions, definitely, mm. but they weren't connected to their neighbors. Their neighbors were enemies. And, um, then they something some greater threat came, so they had to um, give up warring with their enemies to make an alliance. So they they've learned how to do that, and you know we all need to learn how to do that, how to give up the idea of war with our neighbours and learn to cooperate. So I I think we're in a process of evolution. It's not so much that we need to go back to. Uh, a kind of connection that we used to have. I think we need to move forward into a new kind of connection that includes everything that we've learned through this mad rush towards wealth and technology and material um, security, everything that we've that the industrial world has done. It's not like we need to call out the the goodness that's in that, like the good medicine that's in there. Yes, because there's so much that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, that was really, really, I'm, I'm so interested that they're dreaming, their gods, their guides, their spirits yeah. brought them this knowledge. And I'm wondering, why did that not happen in the North you know, before Columbus landed? It's always been one of my greatest, deepest questions is, why were the white people able to gain a foothold? I, I completely understand. I, I, I've had that. Yeah, I've had exactly the same questioning, particularly around sugar and alcohol. Like if, if there was a you know such a kind of a sense of health and well-being and connection to the land and connection to the seasons and the cycles and all the things that we all need to remember now. And yet these strange people came from outside with, with um, strange ideas and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And yet there was, a, there was an openness or a... Um, a welcoming. A welcoming, yes. And, and no warning. Or, or if there were warnings, we haven't heard about them. I mean, it may well be that there were warnings and they were not heeded. The, the world, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read... Um, oh God, I wish I could remember the name. I might be able to find it. Um, Hanta Yo. Hanta Yo, Ruth B. Pill, yes. There you go. Yes. I, I know. 
what a story and what yes. a, what a what an amazing immense opus of work that is yes. and um and tremendous insight actually tremendous. into the psychology of what was happening yes and so the work in that story you hear about the warnings that the elders had but of course there's this that that's the thing isn't that there's always this um wish to protect what's known and the traditions that we know on the one hand but then there's also a wish and a desire a very human desire to evolve and grow and taste new tastes and new experience and so i imagine you know part of it was just that hunger amongst the young people to like come on let's look look there's all this let's see what it is and let's embrace that too and it's uh i think that that dialogue that's you know i recognize again inside me uh between the being with what is known and the safety and the goodness of that and then the the threat or stroke excitement of the unknown yes and uh you know i feel that now i wake up in the morning and i i feel this real subtle edge in my heart between fear and excitement it's like i'm i'm alive i'm here today yes uh, you know what's going to change today what might what might happen and how am i going to embrace this and you know i'm finding the need for my own practice and to be in ceremony and to be in prayer and to be with nature and to do that kind of listening that you were talking about really growing day by day and um what 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 an opportunity for us to use what we've been learning yes yes this is what i've been saying to the dreaming students and the accidental god students this is what we were waiting for yeah. and we didn't know it was going to come so soon i spent all last year really pushing to get accidental gods going and we kept saying you know we're not really ready and i was like it has to be out yes we have to get it launched by the solstice and i had no idea why yes um and until i you know probably at the beginning of this week really i woke up to the realization of this is this is why now and and really for all that we'd read deep adaptation and were yeah thinking that you know, we didn't have very long yeah we thought we had longer than this <laughs> for sure yeah. um but also i'm thinking partly I, what was coming up for me when you were talking about hunter yo um, yeah. which for those listening if you have time to read i i don't know if it's on amazon but it's a beautiful book by a woman who wrote so it's a history of a native tribe i, I think it's the lakota i can't That's remember right. I read it so lakota, yeah. her name's ruth beeb with an e on the end and she wrote it in english translated it oh yes it is lakota because she translated it into lakota and then she translated it back again into english That's right. so that the rhythms of the language and the underlying ethos was not english anymore and it's so beautiful yes but and so one of my deep questions from writing buddhika was why did the gods let the romans happen yeah. and then i get to why did the gods let the genocide in north america happened but then i hit up against this whole concept of complex systems and emergence from complex systems and that consciousness is an emergent property of our complex system yes and i hit up against 
A lot of the people who've had near-death experiences, and, and particularly the one that resonates with me is Evan Alexander, because he was a neurosurgeon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he might even still be a neurosurgeon, so he kind of speaks my language. And they all, to a woman and a man, come home saying, everything is as it's meant to be. Yes. Don't worry. And, and I look around the world and I go, oh, really? Yes. Are you serious? Yeah. And there are people and, and animals and the death on scales we've not seen before in ways that, that leave me shuddering. And yet, we are who we are. Yeah. We Consciousness is where consciousness is. I genuinely believe we're on the edge of a shift in consciousness. Yes. And, but, but we have to actively partake in that now, I think. It's, it's not enough anymore that we let it passively happen. We now have to be agents of that shift. And and it does have to, you know, I, I couldn't understand that if we didn't have the understanding of, of neuroplasticity yeah. and, and polyvagal theory and all of the things that we've been talking about. Um, and, and yet also we've got Rob Brebeer and the insight meditation. And you know, it's as if everything has reached... It probably isn't an apex. I'm sure it will carry on going up. Everybody thinks they're at the apex of everything in whatever <coughs> era they're in. But it feels to me like a lot of things are coming together to a point where we have the tools. We can make this happen. We cannot possibly go back. First of all, nobody would want to. And second, it's, it's not actually possible. One of the things I was meant to be doing in the next few days was going to speak at a Hedgewise conference in Ireland. And, and I had a lot of time talking to Sharon Blackie, who's organising it, because her interest is mythology and, and archetypes. And she had Bio Komalafi and Pat McCabe coming. And I was saying, I don't know what I have to bring to this because I am not interested in who we were, except insofar as the bits that we can take to build forward to who we can be that is different. Yes. We need to take the best of ourselves and grow that to be better than we ever imagined we could be. Because that's the point of emergence from complex systems, is that you cannot know. that the, the chrysalis does not know the butterfly. But you need the chrysalis in order for the butterfly to emerge from it. So we need to be in whatever chaos we're in just now. Yeah. But we also, I think, so badly need to be actively participating in making a future that is different. And so I think you go into ceremony... I'm going to do something over the solstice. I haven't quite figured out what because also trying to sort ponies. Um, and use the energy that we understand. It has to come from energy. Now, we can't think our way. I think our problem or one of the problems I find in the corner of the internet that's deeply embedded in conscious evolution is that everybody seems to think that if we just meditate for another thousand hours or philosophize a little bit more deeply or yeah. God help us implant nanochips in our brains. <laughs> we will, you know, make the step. And I think, no, 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 no. We have to go out and sit with the tree or the red kite or the hill yeah. and ask. It's not up to us to think our way forward. It's up to us to be our way forward. And, and that can only happen if we know how to be. So I'm so interested in your movement medicine and in your ceremony and also wondering what is the ayahuasca saying when you, I guess you haven't been, you were going to go and, and didn't go, but the last time you spoke to the spirits of the plants, were they saying anything about where we were heading? 
Well, it's it's very interesting. I mean, first of all, I, I just have to say because um, it's very important that, with, that movement medicine and plant medicine are not not directly linked, and we don't we don't use plant medicine in our work. That's true. We sometimes take people to the indigenous people for whom it's their tradition, and they invite us into their ceremonies. And so, when we were there this time, we were we're very blessed to work with some of the elders they're they're like living national treasures and um basically what i and you you put it very beautifully you were talking about this in a way it's a very heretical thing to propose at this time that everything is um evolving in the way it's supposed to and everything is as it's supposed to be and we are as conscious as we are and because of of course that goes in the face of um, the massive amount of suffering and that that is part of our world, and I think so often that that spiritual idea that everything is perfect as it is has been used as a as, as a bypass um, yes. to, to stop us actually engaging, and that's not actually what it is. And in my experience, I you know in the last couple of years um, in my dreaming, I had one very very strong night of dreaming uh, this is about um, 11 months ago where I experienced um, dying in the night seven times wow. and it, w- it was very it was a very strange night I apparently Susanna my, didn't sleep too much because my body was completely rigid in the bed and about every 20 or 30 seconds I was making this very strong sound which was something like her oh. <sighs> like this every now and again. And Gosh. Bless her, Susanna just looked after me. And uh, I, my, in my experience, I, was, I died seven times, but I experienced it from all the different places. It's a very archetypal experience. I experienced being killed, but I also experienced being the killer. And each death was more and more cruel. Uh, and more and more painful and more and more horrible. And it wasn't just me. That sometimes there were many people dying at once and or being killed at once. And I was in this experience. And um, I, during during this experience, I kept coming through it. And then I was back in the in the space where everything is just as it's supposed to be in that space that you mentioned from the, mm. all those people who've had those near-death experiences. I was very much in that place. And I would have to describe it as the most loving place I've ever experienced. And I don't mean love as a kind of romantic thing. It, love is fierce. It means it's everything is illuminated. Nothing is hidden. Everything is completely transparent. And everything is held in that place. Everything is loved in that place. And I came out of that night, apparently in the morning, I was just chanting for about an hour. Everything is everything. Everything is everything. Everything is inside everything. And inside all cruelty is is the complete opposite. And, you know, I don't, I, up until this stage, I've not said that publicly because I'm, I'm, I don't want to be, um, put in a box of, oh, you know, that spiritual nonsense of everything's perfect as it is. Can't you see what's going on in the world? Mm. But but interestingly for me, that experience um, gave me much more strength 
to face and be with and make an offering into our world. Uh, it's far from separating me from it, far from me thinking, well, you know, everything's fine as it is, therefore I may as well just put my feet up on the sofa and read a good book. Um, it, far from that, I actually felt really impassioned to um, stand up more. And, you know, I've been writing this book, Shaman, for those past two years. And I had that experience in the middle of this writing. And one of the things that movement medicine is really, and this book, Shaman, is rooted in movement medicine practice. And I, um, you know, I was asked to write this title by Michelle at Hay House. It's not, I would never have chosen by myself to to write a book called Shaman. And she, she came to me and asked me, and I, I, I prayed a lot about that. You know, who am I to write a book called Shaman? And, you know, all of those questions and um, all, the, all the stuff about being a white Jewish guy living in the southwest of England. And here I am writing a book called Shaman. And um, all the, the, the very important conversations that are going on around cultural appropriation and all of those things. Uh, so I went through a big process and I decided that shaman was an invocation. It's literally a call to that, to that archetypal force that I really believe we all have access to. And those of us who were brought up in the, in the industrial world or at the effect of that industrial story of separation between the consciousness and the physical world, between the spirit and physicality or between ideas and the body and, um, and of course, leaving the heart to get on with itself. Um, mm. the, the need for us to, to come into the kinesthetic intelligence of our body and what, what we call the dancer, I mean, it's not, it's not that, that we call it, that it is the dancer, the dancer that lives inside the body that is movement. Mm. that is the intelligence of life in movement, that is the movement of the seasons, that is the breath, that is the way an animal runs or rests or hunts or, um, you know, flies. The, this movement of life that is in our body. And when movement medicine and this book, it's an, an invocation of a, a marriage of our imaginal selves our imagination and our physical selves. In other words, how do we make physical or manifest what we dream? And we're experts at it, human beings. We've been doing it a very long time. Yes. And we dreamt this world of separation and technological brilliance in some ways. And now we need to dream a world where, okay, now we're faced with um, something that is beyond our control. And we need to dream um, a world which is cooperative. And we need a dream of how we have made our way through this um, birth canal, this, these contractions of change, of consciousness. Of, we need to, to see a possibility beyond what we've seen before that includes all areas of life. Yes, economy. Yes, ceremony yes all the different religions and views and ways of praising life all of it coming together and you know i i really believe that we have that capacity and 
um, the, the inner shaman or that archetypal energy is that part of our consciousness that is already connected to the ability to listen to the river. Yes. It's not that we have to learn how to do that. We just have to learn where that place is inside us and shut up for long enough to be able to hear it. And for most of us, um, to be able to quieten the mind down requires quite a lot of physicality. It, it requires a lot of jumping up and down and shaking and getting physical. And when we, so that's the essence of movement medicine is that we, we rather than trying to stop movement and to stop the mind, we get the body to move faster and deeper than the mind so that the mind can settle back into the body. And once the, the body is really activated, then the mind can settle and then the mind can do what it was designed to do, which is to listen, mm. to hear, to receive new information. And so it's, it's all about the basic of um, body, heart, mind working together. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I feel very blessed that the timing of this is that, you know, I can put, I can just put this thing into the world right now. Yeah, uh, where people actually have a chance to sit down and and read and and practice and try out those different practices that are there in the book and and really engage that part of themselves because um, it's 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 the part of us that's big enough to evolve that that knows that we have ancestors that knows that death is part of life and. You know, I woke up the other day with this very, very strong feeling of I'm already dead. I'm already dead. And therefore, everything today is a bonus. Everything, everything is a blessing. And, you know, my toothpaste, you know, moisturizer, for God's sake, face moisturizer. <laughs> <laughs> Becomes a magical thing. Have it on my face because I'm 55 and, you know, that's what you do. Uh, it's like... I never even paid attention to the plants that it was made from, I'm ashamed to say. But, you know, something like this wake-up that we are receiving now, it stops us in our tracks enough to be able to recognize the blessing that's now. My heart is beating now. I have a chance to create, to dream now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And... and a lot of us, not the medics, not the people in essential services, but we are being given the time yes. to slow down yes. and, and do the work that you've just said. Yes. I, I was talking earlier this week to Rob Hopkins. Have you read his book, From yes. What Is to What If? Yes. Um, and, and I'm remembering the quote from uh, someone in Devon, Lucy, I think, that, um, that joy is a radical act. Yes. Because joy calls us to life and life calls to life. And if we can wake up every morning with that sense of joyful anticipation of what the day will bring and the challenges that are coming, yeah. our whole world looks different. It really does. And that's the amazing thing, isn't it? That our, our perception is so malleable and it, it, it's, it can change literally by the way we ch 
change the way we hold our body or the way we breathe or even just lifting the corners of our mouth. <laughs> a few years ago, we, we met Dr. Kataria, the guy who created laughter yoga. Okay. I was like, what the, what is laughter yoga? Please, come on. That, you can't possibly be serious. And we went to a session of laughter yoga. And um, what they told us was that Dr. Kataria, this very, very sweet guy, um, had discovered that the body didn't recognize any difference between genuine laughter or just laughing, like just going, ha, 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 And laughter is really good for the immune system. Yeah. It actually strengthens the immune system. Whether you are actually feeling joy or, I mean, I'm sure it gets, it's like any medicine, the more concentrated, the stronger it is. If you can feel joy and laugh, you're giving your immune system such a good boost in the morning. So I think we're going to have to go back to doing a little bit of laughter yoga in the mornings along with everything else. Yeah, yeah. Or just... You know, ignite the joy in your in your heart space. I, I did a video and sent it out to everybody a couple of days ago of, of let's just practice doing that. Yes. Because, as you say, your body, you know, if you can do that, if you can, even for three or four minutes, the Heart Math Institute work, it completely changes your physiology for yes. several hours. Yes. Um, and, and now we have time to practice this. What we is there to time. lose? You know, you may as well. If you can sit being glum or you can sit feeling astonishing joy and gratitude exactly and wonder and put and on the music we've been having bob marley was blasting through our house yesterday <laughs> we were like come on bob we need yes, you go for it yes, <laughs> yes. Yay. we yay. were dancing around the around the dinner table <laughs> brilliant yay and and with your ponies as well i imagine Absolutely. that they love it they love bob yeah. marley <laughs> I, I again uh, it's Alexa Linton on the Whole Horse podcast she had somebody who works with heart math and they reckoned that and I, I haven't seen the primary evidence on this so it comes with that code of, but yeah. that a human electromagnetic field when you can bring your heart into coherence stretches about I think it was three meters yeah. or maybe it was five no, it was five five meters a horse's heart which is just they live in coherence five kilometers wow <sighs> And and I want to find the primary work on that. How did they find it? If you find it, will you? Send- I will. I will absolutely. Yes, I will plaster everywhere because I've, I've written to Alexa and said, please, can you go back to the person you interviewed and get me the primary evidence on that because that's that's really interesting. Well, I, you know, I have to say, I've never, I never had anything to do with horses, and Susanna um, was asked to take on these four X more ponies that otherwise would have ended up in a can somewhere. And um, they're, they are, they're the most sensitive and powerful animals, you know. I mean, and to, to be close to one of them, it's extraordinary to me to, to be in that space of that apparent paradox of such physical, majestic strength and such extraordinary sensitivity at the same time in the same bag of bones yeah. that, that, that is those, those beautiful horses. It's, it's quite remarkable. My, my mother was visiting and she, she said the same thing. She said, I don't understand how one, one being could be so strong and so sensitive at the same time. Mm. Susanna and I, you know, we were there and we were like, well, 
that's that's how we are. Yes, we we all have that capacity for for deep sensitivity, you know. And I I I understand people being afraid with what's going on in the world. And it's like for for me, it's like it's so important to ask when I find myself afraid. I always ask who who inside me is afraid, and what do they need? Because uh, and often, you know, like last week, I discovered it was. It was a little echo of my my great-grandparents who were refugees who arrived in Ireland in the 1890s, didn't know anyone, didn't speak any any of the local language, didn't know where their next meal was coming from. And I could feel that echo of that fear inside me. Mm. And as soon as I named it and couldn't, and as soon as I even asked the question, then I'm not so identified with it. There's, there's another part of me that's looking and able to see and then to embrace it. And when I embrace that, then it makes space for all those other emotions. And, you know, we, a part of our practice is like learning about the emotional intelligence that we have through embracing all of those different emotions, but not being not being just emotional, but but really embodying that emotion and seeing where it takes us. So fear and anger and grief, like the more we allow, this is what's interesting, the more we allow those those emotions of fear and anger and, and grief, the more access to joy we actually have. And, you know, and then that all leads to a more compassionate heart because then I can be with somebody who's afraid. I can be with somebody who's irritated or, you know, acting in that way. And so, yeah, we have so much to learn. And as you say, those of us who are not on the front line in terms of working in hospitals, or um, we, we looks like we're going to have quite a lot of time on our hands. Um, yes. I, Wouldn't it be interesting? I, I don't quite know how to do this. I was talking to Rob Hopkins yesterday, in fact. Um, about how could we, or is it possible that we could, set up a network, a worldwide network, of everyone who is doing this kind of work. Yeah. And and there will be slight differences in the tone and the texture, but broadly we're all heading in the same direction. Yes. And and we all suddenly have time on our hands. Yeah. And we all have students. And is there a way that we can link up because there's the, the good intention to link up and I can, you know, I can, we can all agree to meditate at nine o'clock on Friday night or something. Yes. But I think that I can kind of feel that there's something more tangible possible. That's a bit. I, I don't a, quite know what it is, but I want, I want to see if we can make it happen. I'm with you. And I know I'm talking for Susanna too here. Okay. We, uh, I think the more we can learn from the the different yeah it's 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 um it's a time for for opening and learning from all the different wisdom that we can and uh, that we, we can get together and you know i noticed yesterday our dear friend manari who is the leader of the zapara people he was offering something online and then you know today we're recording this yesterday you were talking to rob there's all these um, Lynn and Bill and John Perkins from the Pachamama Alliance are doing um, webcasts or uh, webinars on Saturday, Friday and Saturday. And there's all these people putting this this mm. um, stuff out into the world. I think you're right. If we can 
join our forces together, mm. we're going to we're going to be stronger yeah. in our capacity to really we can build an energetic intent. Yeah. A fluid one, not a, you know, not yeah. we're all going from A to B, but a sense of yeah. an energetic intent. Yes. And a holding and a a cradling of the spark of something new and different. Yes. Because yeah. because it would be my fear when I get swamped by fear is that we sleepwalk back into business as usual. Yes. As the virus dies down, which would be tragic. It would be on, tragic. On every level. And, saw, and such a loss of the teaching of this. I saw a prayer, an, an invitation for prayer on Facebook yesterday, which somebody sent me, which was exactly that prayer that we can all get back to normal. I was like, no, 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 no. no. It's not. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's, let's learn something from this. Let's evolve through this. Let's actually get the the basics that we're being shown here that we we can't we can't ignore anymore that we're one world. We yes. can we've been shown in the most graphic way possible. Yes. And and the plane of the economy has landed. Um and we can turn it into a helicopter. And, <laughs> and only and I, I watched I watched God help me, I watched Russell Brand on Facebook last night, he flicked through and and he was quite sharp in many ways. He was pointing out the speed with which we've gone from, hmm, that looks interesting, that's happening somewhere far away, to, oh, okay, this is a good reason for me to not do the things I didn't want to do anyway, to, oh, this is actually serious. Yeah. Oh. And and I think there is, there was, certainly for me, there was a, okay, it's a blip, I'm not going to buy anything because, you know, give it a week and it'll all die down, to... Okay, perhaps I should get in some straw for the ponies bedding because yeah. I can't yeah. turn the light yet. Yeah. To okay, this is this is a chance for difference. And I think there is a natural human tendency to strive for return to normality whenever anything traumatic hits. And then there is the realization that there is no going back. Yes. And I think that our governments by their nature, our, our kind of establishment, the whole media political network will be striving to return to the safe ground of the known. Yes. And and it would be useful if there were enough of us going, no, the door has just opened, let's walk through it. We don't know where it goes, but we can set the baselines of we will flourish. I think you know, the Extinction Rebellion 10 commitments of no shame, no blame, yes. you know, and we will I'm not saying we necessarily link to those, but that will be principles of moving forward that are not the principles by which we have lived up till now, that we could establish together and spread in our various networks and and see to it that we don't sleepwalk back. Yes. Well, absolutely. That's a beautiful vision and a very important one. And I think... Uh, having what you just the words you use were a, a fluid vision not like an a to b kind of vision of, yeah. of, of energetic intent of that's that's guiding that's a that's um a, a rudder in the ocean but is a, that we're able to adapt to the currents and the change of the wind and and that we can we can really use this extraordinary opportunity that that we've been given it's like uh you know Susanna was reading to me this morning that like the clean air in in the city of 
China and the 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 CO2 drop that's happened in the last two weeks and you know it's like mm, well something is happening yeah the air is more breathable it is and we're discovering what it is to have community yes and to be at home and to share the things that matter yes 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 and then we co-create wouldn't that be amazing if as a species we co-created a new future that was one that we all want yes where we all flourish we can abandon the old tribal dynamics of politics and of nation versus nation and go okay we are one people yeah what is it that we want for ourselves and each other yes what matters and how can we make it happen yes and just and allow it to unfold and and it comes it's less of a kind of um a slightly hippie, loopy idea that we're one people, when you start to recognise the health system in, I don't, you know, somewhere in Liberia or in, in, um, in Egypt or in, in somewhere in South America or in London or whatever, that it's, we're all dealing with something together and mm. that the Chinese sent out the genome for the virus the second they, they discovered it and, labs all over the world looking at it and looking for solutions that that already there's that kind of sense of well we we can't go on as we were because if there's a a country over there that doesn't have the resources to contain this that affects all of us now it's not just going on over there we cannot build a wall around ourselves or anybody else just so isn't going to create a new system whereby healthcare is a global concern rather than just a a national or a local one. It's a global concern, and um, you know, as one area of a vision for how we can move forward. And there is a need for a new a new dream. You know, I think it's it's emerging in a, out of necessity. But I think also it would be beautiful to have some kind of gathering that we can get together and, you know, to have a... A global global conference online. Yeah. Yeah. And we can do it remotely. Nobody needs to fly anywhere. Um, Absolutely. We're discovering we can do this. And it's not the same as being in the room, but it's not too far. Because, you know, our imagination, that's the amazing thing for me. When we... When we did that, this movement medicine session on Tuesday night, we had, as I said, like 450 people or so dancing. We're in our tiny little studio in the garden here with a camera. And then there's people all around the world. And no, of course, it's not the same as being in the room together. But bloody hell, we connected and we all felt it. There was an extraordinary feeling of community and connectivity and the power of a unified prayer coming through 400 plus individuals in their different places. And so that has power. And I'm, I, you know, the idea of being able to create that kind of conference. Um, I wonder where we take that, like who the, who the people are that are the, 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 conference organizers that might get something like that together and bring 
Well, we are. We can, you know, in terms of conference organizing, I'm organizing loads of conferences. But, you know, let's just reach out. You know, we're talking, this, let's just reach to the people we know. Yes. And they can reach the people they know. And, you know, six degrees of separation, it, it will spread around the world and see where we get to. We don't, we, I think we don't need to nail it down yet. We can, let's, let's put the idea yes. out. I think that's beautiful. I'm really with you. Yay, yeah. Yay. Yay. And I'm thinking, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, if this yeah. pandemic had hit then, yeah. we would not have had this. The technology it's was absolutely there. true. So, we spent the last three years learning how to how to put things out on the web and whereby you can play music and people can hear it where they are and it not just sound like a horrible muffle. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Amazing. I think that might be a good place. Yeah. We, we've been just over an hour. Um, yeah. I would love to do this again, mind you. I think this is really fertile. Um, yes, let's it do it again. And I know. And be also great to include Susanna as well. I mean, we we are we had originally decided yes. to do this because of my my book, and thank you very much for that. And, but um, it would be lovely. Yes, let's, well, let's tell everybody about the book. It's out on March 30th. It's called Shaman, Invoking Power, Presence and Purpose at the Core of Who You Are. And um, you can find it. It's lovely. I've read it. It's wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's, uh, it, was, uh, it nearly killed me writing that one. <laughs> I'm really pleased to have done it Gosh. and that it's going out. Thank you. So that's it for another week. Thank you to Yakov. That was a really moving conversation. It went in ways that I don't think either of us planned because we were literally just thinking and speaking. It was one of the least organized of the podcasts that I've done, but I also think the rawness of it and the edge and the place that we are now calls for this kind of thinking aloud in the moment. So we'll get this to you as soon as we can. And in the meantime, that's it for another week. Thanks to Caro C for the music at the head and foot of the podcast and for the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for designing the website and for being the other half of the creative team that is Accidental Gods. And thanks to you for listening. We would not be here without you. If you want to visit the website, if you want to know more or look at the show notes or join the membership programme, we're at accidentalgods.com dot life on the web and on facebook possibly instagram i might even get around to twitter now that the world is slowing down a bit if you like what you hear please subscribe it lets us know that you're there five stars and a review helps google to know that we're here but really if we're going to grow we are going to do this by word of mouth so please in this time of strange uncertainty tell your friends Tell your family, pass the link around your social networks. Tell anyone that you know who wants the world to be the more beautiful place that our hearts know is possible. We can do this. We can open the door to a more fluid co-creation, to a world that is not the world that we left behind. And now is the time. If we work together, if we grow into our connection with the world outside the windows, the more-than-human world, if we grow into coherence with ourselves, if we do the work we need to do, enjoy. 
having fun, making it an adventure. We can do this. So see you next time. Thank you for being there. And goodbye.